So this is lesson 11 in the study of Galatians. And we're, we find ourselves at the end of chapter 2. Paul has just told us that he rebuked Peter for not conforming to the truth of the gospel. The very gospel that Peter had received from the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God who opened Peter's eyes to the fact that non-Jews had been made clean by God and through the good news of Yeshua the Messiah. It was made known to him that non-Jews were now full covenant members. And his understanding of that is witnessed by the fact that Peter immersed these people in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, he went into the house of Cornelius, he ate with him, and because God himself had told him that he was wrong to separate himself from the Gentiles who loved God. God had given Peter correction from a long-standing rabbinic tradition requiring non-Jews to convert through circumcision to be covenant members. And in Galatia, he had been following that correction from God. He had been fellowshipping with the Gentiles, eating with the Gentiles. But then when some came from Jerusalem, he ceased to fellowship with the non-Jews and he sinned by transgressing God's personal instruction to him by separating himself from the non-Jews. And he was rebuked by Paul. Let's read now as Paul begins to focus on his arguments as to why this was wrong. And we'll be focusing on verses 17 through 21, but first I'm on to read beginning with verse 15 for context. It says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Messiah Yeshua. So we too have put our faith in Messiah Yeshua that we may be justified by faith in Messiah and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If we seek to be justified in Messiah and it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Messiah promotes sin? Absolutely not. Now, be truthful with me for a minute. How many have looked at verse 17 and scratched their head and then just read on, hoping to get clarity in the text somewhere? If we're justified in Messiah, it says, if we seek to be justified in Messiah, and if we are justified in Messiah, how is it that we do seek to be justified in Messiah? I thought we were justified in Messiah. Why do we seek what we already have? And the answer lies in the fact that we are on a journey to finally end up in Messiah. And through being in Messiah, we will be thereby justified. On the last day, we hope to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and yes, you are in me, in Messiah, come enter my rest. After accepting Yeshua, we're in Messiah. But then we seek to remain in Messiah and end up in Messiah on that last day. As an example, you know, I've seen people who appear to be in Messiah who outwardly have a prayer life and seem to have a relationship with Messiah. They're knowledgeable in the scriptures, but in the end, they turn away from Messiah and turn to legalism, trying to earn their justification. And they do this to the degree that they end up in some orthodox synagogue somewhere. 
They're no longer in Messiah. If they ever were in Messiah, I don't know. So the point is, we seek to remain in Messiah. And through the last day, and on the last day, be found justified in Messiah. We walk through life with the aid of the Spirit of God according to Scripture. We obey God by His Spirit. We gather together on the Sabbath. We form relationships with others who are in Messiah. We work in this life to see the good news spread. And we do all of these things out of a desire to remain in Messiah. For what we found in Messiah is so precious, so wonderful, that we do everything we can to remain in Messiah. You see, the word seek there means desire. We desire to be found in Messiah today, tomorrow, and on the last day. Those on the last day who are found in Messiah are not going to be relying on works of the law for their justification. They're going to be relying on being found in Messiah. You see, that is what is truly important, what is truly life. I'm going to tell you, you can have mitzvot, good deeds piled up to heaven. But if you have no advocate on that day, if you have no one who will say to the prosecutor who's recounting your sins, the price of those things has been paid by me, I paid them in 30 common era, then you're going to have a problem. And the problem is stated by James in chapter 2, verse 10. He says, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. If you have no advocate who has paid your debt, the debt of your transgressions, if you have no one who has wiped out your, wiped your transgressions clean, then for even one transgression, you'll be found guilty of breaking the whole of the law. Listen and put this into your belief system. If you keep the Torah without the leading of the Spirit, your sinful nature will deceive you and you will sin. That's the lesson, the whole lesson of Romans chapter 7. We just went through it. We desire to be found in Messiah on that day. The fact is, once you have been enlightened, once you have tasted the heavenly gift given through Yeshua, and you have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted in the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, you not only desire to be found in Messiah on that day, you want to do everything you can to be certain that you remain in Messiah and be found there on that day. So that's what Paul says. We seek to be found in Messiah. And if we seek to be found in, justified in Messiah and it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean Messiah promotes sin? You know, how do we, how do we ourselves find ourselves to be sinners while we are doing everything that we can be, to be found blameless in Messiah? Well, context here is everything. If we seek justification in another way or we require others to seek to be justified in another way and earn their covenant status in another way, then we do become sinners. But that's not really what Paul is talking about here. He's, he's speaking kind of tongue-in-cheek. And he's saying that if eating with Gentiles is sin, 
And because I am justified in Messiah, Messiah and I take my direction in life from Messiah and I now eat with Gentiles, does that mean Messiah promotes sin? And the answer is simple. Absolutely not. This group from Jerusalem was accusing Peter of sinning by eating with non-Jews. Peter is eating with non-Jews at the direction, at the divine revelation from God. Because of the work of Messiah. So does that mean Messiah promotes sin? Impossible! Of course, it means that those who are from Jerusalem are wrong. And Peter was wrong to follow them. And so he continues, he's going to use some examples now. In chapter 2, verse 18, he says, If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Certainly alluding back to Peter here, for that is exactly what Peter did. He, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, had destroyed a wall that separated him from the non-Jews. He did it because God had told him not to call anyone unclean that God had made clean. And so Peter tore down that wall and ate and fellowshiped with non-Jews. Then these men from James came and he rebuilt the wall. He separated himself once again. Paul has used this metaphor before. Alluding to this same wall in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And so we have peace in Messiah for he has destroyed this barrier the barrier that kept Jew and non-Jew apart. The barrier that kept non-Jew from full covenant status in the eyes of men. And he did this by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And it sounds as if Messiah abolished the law with its commandments, right? Isn't that what it sounds like? That's something that we know Yeshua would not do, could not do, because he told us he would not do it. Also, because Yeshua did not teach that or do that, we know that Paul wouldn't do that either or teach that either because he's a disciple of Yeshua. And he's also an apostle, a messenger from Yeshua. And he would not teach anything that Yeshua had not taught. And what did Yeshua say? We've read it a thousand times. Matthew chapter 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the least, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Yeshua said, I have not come to abolish or destroy the law. And yet the word Yeshua uses here for abolish in the Greek is kataluo. From the same root word that Paul uses in his argument, he uses the word katargaeo. So by Yeshua's own words, Paul, because Paul is a disciple and will not depart from Yeshua's words, it follows that Yeshua did not abolish the law, the Torah. That's not an impossible interpretation here. So what does Paul mean? Well, if we read it in the Young's, it gets much clearer. The Young's literal reads this way. And now in Messiah Yeshua, ye being once far off, became nigh in the blood of Messiah, for he is our peace, who did make both one, 
and the middle wall of the enclosure did break down. The enmity in his flesh of the law of the commands in the ordinance having done away with. Now that's a proper translation. What did Yeshua abolish? Not the commands of the Torah, but the commands contained in ordinances. And the word for ordinances there is dogma. I put it up there for you. A law, civil or ceremonial. If you look in the Messianic writings, you'll never find this word dogma used in connection with a command of Torah. But it's always used in connection with the laws of men. And so when Paul says this, he's speaking of the laws of men that kept non-Jews from covenant statuses. Law contained within rabbinic tradition. That's what Yeshua abolished in his flesh. Just as the Young's reads, the laws contained in the dogma, the teachings of men, if you prefer the ordinances of men, This ordinance of the rabbis that Gentiles were unclean and that you could not eat with them or go into their homes because they were not full covenant members had become law. And these are the laws that Yeshua abolished. Remember, you know, I told you at the very start of the study, if you fail to separate the traditions of the Jewish people, the laws of the rabbis from the law of God, as you're reading this book, you're doomed to misunderstand it. What had been destroyed and abolished in his flesh was now being rebuilt by Peter. Were these laws of men that kept Jew and non-Jew apart? That's what he's rebuilding. It kept Jews enclosed within the covenant with God and non-Jews were kept out. This for Paul was unthinkable. For it was destroying The very thing that Yeshua the Messiah had done by coming to this earth. The very heart of the gospel. That all nations would be blessed through Yeshua the Messiah. What Yeshua had done was so complete, so wonderful. That to take away from that work was unthinkable to Paul. As Isaiah says in speaking of the Messiah. In 49 verse 6 and 7 he says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the nations that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer of the Holy One of Israel. To him who was despised and abhorred by a nation, by the nation, To the servants of rulers, kings will see you and rise up and princes will see you and bow down because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel has chosen you, has chosen you. What Messiah did was so wonderful, so powerful that even the father said, Jacob and Israel are too small a reward. The suffering that Messiah went through, the life that Messiah gave was so complete that it includes not just Israel, but it was sufficient for all the nations. And to detract from that was unthinkable and impossible for Paul. Messiah broke down the wall, making the two one, Jew and non-Jew, one in Messiah Yeshua. There's another wall very similar to the one Paul speaks of found in the temple. And it was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the inner courts where Israel could go. Only those with covenant status could pass beyond that fence. 
Only those with covenant status had access to the inner courts of the temple, the dwelling place of God. Because the non-Jew was considered unclean, not having covenant status, he could not enter into the presence of God. That's what Yeshua abolished. That's the fence. As God told Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Because of faith in Messiah Yeshua, non-Jews now have access. And if anyone tries to rebuild what God has destroyed, he's a sinner. So Paul next moves to a couple of examples. He says this in verse 19, For through the law, this is a good one too, isn't it? How many have ever scratched your head at this one? For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. How is it that through the law, Paul died to the law so that Paul might live for God? And if you think about it, if we add another verse to this, let's go over to Acts chapter 21 and put this verse into the mix. It even gets more confusing. In Acts chapter 21, Paul has been accused of teaching people not to obey the law. And this is what is said of him by James. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. So we might say the verse could even read this way. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God in obedience to the law. Wow, that's confusing, right? So how is it that he died to the law so that he might live in obedience to the law? Well, I kind of like Stern's translation here, his Jewish New Testament, because it more closely gets to the truth of the matter. He takes a little liberty with the text, granted, but it certainly agrees with Ephesians and Messiah abolishing in his flesh the dogma of men. And he puts it this way. For it is through letting the Torah speak for itself that I died to the traditional legalistic interpretation so that I might live in direct relationship with God. How do you let the Torah speak for itself? Well, some want to tell you that you just that you do not interpret the Torah, but you take it literally. And they stand on this literal interpretation of the Bible. What's wrong with that? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with that. Paul himself didn't rely on a literal interpretation, but understood there was more that needed to be understood in the Scriptures. And we need the Spirit of God to interpret it for us. We should all realize that as well. We just went through the book of Romans and over and over, Paul shows us the deeper meaning of the Torah, things which couldn't be understood by just reading it literally. So that's not what's meant here. However, it's close. Stern really hits it when he says that I might live in direct relationship with God. And granted, he took liberty with the text. The Greek text doesn't say direct relationship. Stearns has taken liberty with the text, but it certainly gives us the meaning of the text, as it certainly agrees with Paul's opening statement. He said, in, remember in, a, in chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by man, but by Yeshua, the Messiah, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And then verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something man made up, but I received it not from any man, nor was it taught, Rather, I received it by revelation from Messiah Yeshua. 
Paul didn't receive the gospel from understanding once and for all the literal meaning of the text. He received the gospel from Yeshua. The same is true of Peter. If we go back to table fellowship and the love that God has for the non-Jews, he didn't finally understand the literal meaning of the text. He heard it directly from God. The Torah by itself and you living it out by yourself is something that will just put you to death. It condemns you. The fact is, as Paul told us in Romans, the Torah by itself will cause you to sin even more. The Torah by itself, and you living it out by yourself, brings about condemnation. Your condemnation. And your condemnation for others. Because the Torah, the laws within, cause you to make a judgment about yourself and then it causes you to judge everybody else to see if they're living up to its precepts. Right? It brings about pride in one's life. If you're following by a list of rules, it's going to bring about pride in your life. Paul was so prideful when he was living the Torah on his own understanding and own, will, own willpower, he was so prideful that he was willing to put others to death because they didn't agree with his understanding. By yourself, without the Spirit of God, without the Spirit, you keep yourself. Let's, let, let's look at an example. Let's take the Sabbath. You read, do not work on the Sabbath. Do not light a fire on the Sabbath. Keep this day holy. And then comes the problem. How do you do that? Right? So you determine what is work. Of course, your job is work, so you get the Sabbath off. And maybe like the rabbis, you decide that anything that's creating is work. So you do nothing on that day that would be creating a regular work. And then you light no fire. You read light no fire. And you realize in the process of starting your car, you're actually lighting a fire. Because your car won't run without fire. Right? Do you ever try and get your car to get you someplace without turning? So you don't drive. You look at keeping the day holy and you decide that you should spend no money on the Sabbath day. Not even to buy food in a restaurant if you're starving. You look at keep the day holy and you decide you should spend the whole day after going to service in your study. And you begin to keep the Sabbath in these ways. And you find a place of worship where you can walk to services because you can't start the car. And all is well. Until you speak with someone who tells you that after the service, they're driving to the beach with their family. And they tell you there's a great food truck there. The kids love the burgers off the truck. And because you keep the Torah without the leading of the Spirit, what does your human nature do? causes you to judge you immediately think less of the person who doesn't keep the sabbath in the same way you do and in the process you have done the same thing these men from james have done you in your mind have condemned those that god has made clean who are in messiah what you do not what you may not know is that perhaps everything that they did that day brought them closer together as a family at the beach they worshiped and gave thanks to god for the whole day and thanks for all that he had given them. Well, you're, you, in your holiness, went home and you sit in your study 
and stew over how unobservant everybody is at, at this church you went to or this congregation you went to. Right? I'm right, aren't I? I, I am convinced. <laughs> After 30 years of being in this movement, I'm totally convinced that trying to keep the Sabbath without the leading of the Spirit through your own efforts puts you to death. The Torah by itself has no power to justify, only condemn you. It your own, on your own, causes you to look down on others in condemnation. And in the process, you bring condemnation on yourself. And that's what Paul died to self-righteousness that comes from keeping the commands through your own effort. Or through man-made rules of others. Look at the life of Yeshua. You see it in the life of Yeshua. The rabbis confront him for not keeping the Sabbath as they did. They confront his disciples for not washing the hands the way they did. The Torah alone without the Spirit brings condemnation. Awareness of sin. That's what it was meant to do. And what does Paul tell us? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Right? There's no condemnation in Messiah. We look at that and we say, Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm in Messiah. And for me, there's no condemnation. Never understanding that there's another side to that coin. The condemnation you have from other removed you from being in Messiah. Amen? The condemnation you have for others will actually remove you from being in Messiah. The Spirit of God will never cause you to condemn others. For judgment is mine, saith the Lord. It will always remind you that judgment is mine, saith the Lord. If you condemn others for not keeping Torah as you do, if you look down on others for not keeping Torah as you do, you are not acting as one in Messiah any longer, so you've removed yourself from being in Messiah. And that's why in verse 2 of chapter 8 he says, because through Messiah Yeshua, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law followed through the leading of the Spirit sets you free from this. The Spirit gives you a law that's filled with the truth and the character of God. Thereby, the compassion of God and the grace of God and the patience of God and the kindness of God, abounding in love and faithfulness. And finally, forgiveness and understanding of God is yours through the Spirit and not condemnation, for judgment belongs to God. If the person above had the leading of the Spirit, they would have realized that after taking his children to service and then to the beach and the kids got their favorite food and after the parents placed God at the center of all of that, they were closer, closer to God, closer as a family. And what else, what greater thing can you do on the Sabbath day? Listen to what Paul says of Torah or uh, Corinthians chapter 6. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not the letter, but the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
If you find condemnation in your Torah observance, like the men from James, then the letter of the law kills others in your eyes, and in the end, it kills you as well. The Spirit gives you life and knows exactly what your life in God needs for today. Listen to what Romans chapter 7 and verse 9 says. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive in death. This commandment that was to result in life proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. How was it that Paul was alive apart from the law? Think about that. Did you ever think about that? It makes me stop to wonder. It made me stop and wonder a few times. I mean, he's circumcised on the eighth day. Brought into the covenant. Brought into the Torah on the eighth day. Studied at the feet of Gamaliel. So what do we got? We got maybe seven days here where he didn't have Torah? I don't know. Studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew no life apart from the law. Right? Well, not necessarily, because he knew he, he was apart from the truth of the law, was what he was apart from, for his entire life, until he met Yeshua the Messiah. He was deceived by not truly understanding the law. He persecuted the church, and all the while, he thought he was keeping the Torah. He was keeping the law. He persecuted the church because of his Torah observance. Well, if you think less of your brother because of your Torah observance, what's the difference between you and Paul in his former life in Judaism? If you answered none, you answered correctly. So the law put Paul to death and Yeshua gave him life so that he might live in direct relationship with Messiah. So when we might understand this verse put this way. I put some additions in caps so you're clear so that you're clear I'm not changing the Bible. I'm just putting died to keeping for for through the law I died to keeping the law on my own by the rulings of others so that I might live in obedience to the law through God. And again, make no mistake, I'm not retranslating. I'm putting my opinion of how it should be read in there. How did he die through the law? Well, he tells us next in verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Messiah and I no longer live, but Messiah lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Messiah died for nothing. Paul died to his former self so that he might live for Messiah, right? Well, not really. That's not the way the verse really reads. That's the way we like to read it and the way we like to understand it. But Paul says, I've been crucified with Messiah. I live no longer. But Messiah lives in me. The verb tense there is not, I was crucified with Messiah, done. But it's in the perfect tense. I have been crucified with Messiah. And now almost as if I continue to be crucified with Messiah. It's almost as if he's still on the tree dying daily. In other words, it's a daily process. He dies daily so that he lives no longer. And it's Messiah Yeshua living in him, directing him. In a sense, Paul is saying he's still on the tree. He's dead. 
And now Messiah lives in him. If we look at the life of Paul before Messiah, there's no doubt that Paul died. If we look at the life of Paul after Acts chapter 9, there's no doubt that Messiah is living in him. He speaks like one whose Messiah is living in him. He speaks with authority. He knows the gospel enough to rebuke Peter. He says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, in what law is he speaking of? We'll go back to verse 16 because we've got to get context here. It says, Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Messiah Yeshua, even we who have believed in Messiah Yeshua, so that we may be justified by faith in Messiah and not by works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. He's speaking of works of the law. Whose works of the law? The Pharisees' works of the law. I do not set aside the grace of God. And listen to how Stearns translates this because it gives you a little better understanding. He says, I, did, I do not reject the gracious gift of God for if the way in which one attains righteousness is through legalism, then Messiah Yeshua's death was pointless. I did not reject the gracious gift of God. And what was the Messiah Yeshua, the leading of the Spirit? For if righteousness could be attained through the works of the Pharisees or the works of the Essenes or anyone's works of the law, then Messiah's death and this gracious gift of God, the giving of the Spirit was pointless.